the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Here we go again, it's summer holiday time so it must be time for the Tory party to do the annual rip yourselves apart manoeuvre that usually ends in another leadership battle. This week it's Boris Johnson's turn to throw rocks at Theresa May's glass house and she doesn't appear to know what to do to make him stop. The former Foreign Secretary is using the burqa and the niqab to trap her and she's totally fallen for it. He likened Muslim women who wear them to bank robbers and letterboxes. Now she's demanding he apologises saying uh, his words cause defence, he shouldn't have used them. He's not going to apologise and now it would appear the battle lines are drawn. 0344 Katie Perry is here, she's worked for both of them and we'll get her view on who's going to come out on top. Let's talk to James Dellingpole now uh, who tweeted out, uh, I think yesterday uh, that actually Boris Johnson should go further uh, and go full Trump James, very good morning to you. Morning, morning. James. Thank you very much for joining us. What did you mean by going well, full you know Trump? What? I was really quite surprised by how popular that tweet was. I mean, I got the usual suspects saying that this meant that I was endorsing racism, fascism, etc., etc. Because Trump does get a pretty, pretty bad press over here. I think, I think a lot of people in Britain are quite ill-informed about what Trump is doing for America. And I think he's, I think he's actually quite popular in America. He's doing, he's doing a good job. Anyway, I think what I, what, what I was suggesting was that Boris needs to get off the fence, stop playing the political games that so many politicians do and actually do what what le- what political leaders are supposed to do which is represent the people rather than the kind of the westminster bubble yeah indeed and if he can do that because yeah, i mean look there, there are lots of uh, there are lots of good contenders out there who could do this you know gove could do this um jacob reese mogg if he were interested could do it but i don't think he is interested in being in being um pm but it's it's up for grabs anyone who 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 chooses to ride the populist wave and actually represent what ordinary people want, I think the, uh, you know, the leadership of, the, of this country is there for the taking and it could be really good for us. It could, but isn't there also an issue there? Because when you ask the people what they want, inevitably they don't actually know what they want. They think they know what they want, uh, well, yeah, uh, yeah, but they really I, don't have any idea. I, I don't know. I, I do kind of trust the, the, the wisdom of crowds. I, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of snootiness about, about, about the mob, the electorate, the, the masses, the people. And I think that their finest hour, our finest hour, was, was on the, the Brexit vote. I think a lot of people there saw an opportunity to place a vote which they thought was going to be finally respected. You know, but most people go into general elections thinking, well, it doesn't really matter who I vote for. I'm going to get the same old rubbish anyway. Yeah. But this was different. And I think, actually, there are sort of basic common sense things that, that Boris could get behind. Like, for example, I mean, continuing the Brexit theme, given that we did vote for Brexit, let's, let's, let's have Brexit, shall we? Let, let, let's not muck around anymore. Let's not get bullied by... No, I agree with that. And I think, I think, and it has been said before, and I think I've even said it, Boris Johnson has said it, you know, if, if Trump was involved in the Brexit negotiations, he'd just be walking out of the room and saying, cheerio, you know, yeah. you want some money from us, you send us a bill and we'll put it in a bin. And then you can send us a final demand in a couple of months later. And that, I think, would be very, very welcome. But what I suppose I mean by the, 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 the great British public not exactly knowing what they want, they want Brexit, but they're not quite sure 
how to make it happen, and I'm not quite sure which version of it. I don't think there's any two people in the country who agree on it. Can I quibble with you slightly there? Sure. I think they actually do. I, I think it's only the politicians who are saying, oh, oh, you don't want to do that. That It's, it's much more complicated than you think. Mm. Actually, I think most British people w- would go, actually, you know what? It's really easy. If, if they want a no deal, if they, if they want WTO rules where we don't even have to pay um, $39 billion to the EU, well, that's their problem. You know, we're up for up for free trade. We're up for no tariffs. If they want to play hardball, that's their problem. But as far as we're concerned, we want to be a free trading state. You know, we want to create jobs, jobs, good jobs. Um, we want to have a, a, a bright economic future. I think people would go with that. I don't think they'd have any. You know, they'd be, be agonising over the terms of of, of the EU. Now, James, you—I mean, you—you've write for Breitbart News, the kind of association that has uh, been owned by Steve Bannon uh, in the past. Uh, been, he's been involved there. Mm. He, his in, intervention in Europe quite clearly is to come and, and, and you know, try and use some of those terms that he used in, in the US in terms of getting Trump elected and telling some European leaders you can do this here too. But that kind of behaviour is, is quite divisive. And my concern is, yes, you might be able to win the membership of the Conservative Party with this kind of language, but the nation won't stand for it. And you will not get the Conservative Party elected on that kind of politics in the future. I mean, I presume you could entirely disagree with me on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, with respect, it just sounds like woo. I mean, um, d- divisive, it's not even a word. It, it, it's just a kind it of... It is a word. It's, it's divisive yeah, yeah, is a word. I'd, right, have to, I'd have to go with Kate on I this, I thought James. you were quite bright. Divisive is definitely a word, yeah. It, 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 divisive just, just, just means it means nothing. It's, it, it's just a kind of a slogan brought out by, used by desperate people to slag off, pe- slag off politicians they disagree with. I mean, I mean, isn't politics by nature no. a divisive James, I thoroughly pro- disagree with you. One party or the other. If, You're if, never going to get everyone satisfied. And, and I think one of the things I, I was very interested to see was um, how the, the Tory party chairman, what's his name, Brandon Lewis, mm-hmm. made the mistake, I think, of trying to get Boris Johnson to apologise for saying what most people in Britain actually think about the burqa. They don't want to be they don't want to be nasty to Muslims, but at the same time they think, yeah, burqas, it's not really an English thing. It's not really what you want to see on the English streets. So he was capturing probably the popular the popular mood, and Brandon Lewis was playing the, that that virtue signalling politics game. No, but everyone's playing a game, James, because Boris Johnson is playing a game as well. He's playing the game of uh, appealing to those people who, who, like you, don't think the burqa belongs on the street. I don't really care if somebody wants to wear a burqa and walk down the street. Why would you care? Mm. Why would you? No, no, I I, I agree. I mean, I think, look, the idea that that, um, politicians, that there is a politician on earth who doesn't play games is is, is just silly. I think we, we we all accept that Boris... Yeah, there's a lot is, of stake here, James. It's Boris not just a game. Is, is, is on, is on manoeuvres, just like every other politician. I just happen to think that Boris's manoeuvres are better than Theresa May's manoeuvres or um, Brandon Lewis's manoeuvres or, you know, the, the, the current Conservative establishment. I think that he's a breath of fresh air. And it, I, I think if he has the courage of his convictions, rather than... Yeah, I mean, the big mistake would have been if he'd, he'd back down, if he'd listened to Brandon Lewis's tweet and he'd back down. But he didn't. And he doesn't look like he doesn't look like he's going to do that. Um, just for your, before we carry on, divisive definition in the Cambridge English Dictionary tending to cause disagreement or hostility between people. 
Yeah. Um, so we'll just we'll, we'll move on from that because well, at the end of the day, Boris Johnson, if he wants to go full Trump, isn't Donald Trump, right? The problem for him is that he's not. Uh, outside the Westminster bubble. He's not an outsider of, from the political scene. And in fact, I don't think many people will fall for him being, you know, this kind of maverick figure because he's, he's always been a politician. It's all he's ever been. He's never, I mean, you know, you could say he was a journalist for a while, but I mean, basically, he was, he's always been a politician. Yeah, I think, look, I think, I think in every politician there is an actor. And I think that at different stages of, the, of their career, um, I mean, they're, 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 you know, they're, they're not as, as principled as I am. I mean, here I am. This is why I'm not a politician because I'm just so, so ideologically pure that I could never, I could never bring myself to to, to um, indulge the compromises. That well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you say that you know all politicians and all politics is divisive. Actually, an awful lot of it recently has been about compromise. Now that may be uh, not necessarily the way to go, but it tends to be the way that most people in most Western democracies wanted no, to go. No, it's my, it's the way it has gone. It's the way it has gone for, for 20 or 30 no, years. No, but this is not an extremist are, country, James. You know that as well as I do. That's why the left are, have never managed to get a socialist government into power, and it's why the right have never managed to get a very right-wing government into power. I think, I think that, that it's precisely a response to this kind of stasis, this, this kind of centrist sludge that we are told is all we can ever expect. We can never expect anything, anything more positive than that. You know, we can never have really a really small government. We can never have really low taxes. We can never have really free trade because, because you know, elections are won in the centre ground, yada, yada, yada. I, I think well, people they are, though. That. I think people... Yeah, no, no. That is the, that is the received wisdom which you hear from lots of, lots of commentators. I disagree with that. Well, that's what's always happened, though, James. That's yeah, my but yeah, point. But, but, it, but it, it, doesn't, it ain't necessarily the case that it's going to go on that way. Well, it may not. Well, let me ask you this. If, if in fact, Donald uh, Trump is the, is the model for Boris Johnson and his behaviour, mm. what should his next move be, then? What should he do next? And I don't mean just not apologise, but presumably he needs no, to do something kind of, else. Uh, it's kind of key, mate. <laughs> do, do, do you think he will apologise? No, I don't think he should apologise, and I don't no, think he will. I think, and I think that's where Theresa May's made a massive error. So in order yeah, yeah. For, for Boris to capitalise on that, yeah. what does he do next? Oh, I think he needs to start um, ramping up the, uh, the rhetoric about the kind of future that he sees for Britain outside the, outside the EU. I mean, I don't think... I think it would be a mistake if he talks about Islam again. I mean, he, he, he did his thing there, and, that was, and that's fine. But there are lots of, there are lots of other issues that he could... He could talk about, you know, um, uh, although I'm, I'm, I'm lost to think what they might be. Well, I mean, Europe is the obvious one, our relationship with Europe. I think well, if he, I mean, if he put forward, I suppose, and I'm answering my own question now, if he yeah. put forward a very, very much more solid, cogent and sort of believable version of Brexit that people could hang their hats on, if you like, then mm. he would already be, um, you know, you know, a mile and a half ahead of Theresa May because that's not, not what she's been able to do. Mm. And he's in a very lucky position that he doesn't have to negotiate that. We can all say that from the sidelines, Mike. We can all sit on the sidelines and go, mm -hmm. oh, you know what? My utopia vision of what it could look like, how wonderful it could well, be. No, but he also when has you're at to the top say, table, when you try and work yeah, out, it's much harder well, well, when you do, try well, and maybe, do it. Yeah, but then that's when you have to say, this is, what I, then this is how I would make it happen as well. You can't just say, this is my vision. You'd have to say, this is my vision and this is how I'm going to make it happen. And if that means walking away from Europe and just saying, you know, come and see us when you feel like it yeah. for some money. When That's I was the at, answer. I'm afraid when I was at number 10, there were no real you know, offerings from the likes of Boris Johnson and others. And despite the fact I really respect him and I you know, loved working for him over the years, there was no real plan of 
of uh, how we would achieve the kind of Brexit that he's looking for. And I think that Theresa May has asked him to deliver that to him, to her, all that way through as Foreign Secretary, and it hasn't materialised, one, ra- one what, way or another. What, you're saying that... Boris should have come up with a uh, with a Brexit plan while he was foreign secretary. Well, I uh, yes, yeah, I James, mean, I am because what I, the reason why I'm saying that, are, James, are you with the workings of the of the civil service with Ollie Robbins with the special arrangement that Theresa May made, whereby she completely sidelined her department for exiting Brexit because she was giving all the world work to work to the Remainer civil service. The reason why I'm saying that, James, the reason why I'm saying that is because I think that Theresa May wanted that plan. She she realised that, you know, she opened the box, nothing was there and that she's had she's had to work on a plan that she she doesn't want and no one really wants around the around the cabinet you're table. Putting the most fascinating and original gloss on on. Theresa I think you're May. deluded, James. I think you're absolutely deluded. And if you want to come on at another time and talk to us, talk to us about exactly how she should negotiate a Brexit, I'd love to hear it because I never really heard it from any anybody that that can give a coherent argument as to how we do this. Because if Theresa May could get a better Brexit deal, believe me, she would. And we'll have to go, I'm afraid, James, but we'll come back to you another time. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Lorraine uh, is in Chelmsford. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Lorraine. Hello there, Katie, Mike. Thanks for calling. What do you want to say? Well, I just would like to say that um, I completely agree. I'm glad that Boris has actually brought this subject up of the full burqa. Um, I have no... um, I don't mind the scarf because right. that, you can at least see the person's face. Mm. But when it's um, covering the full face, I find it highly offensive, actually. Have you seen it being worn, say, for example, in an official role? Or is it just when you see people walking down the street you don't like it? Well, I, come, I was born in East Ham. OK. Right. Um, Lovely part of the world. It, it was when I was younger. Character's completely gone now. But I have to say that... Um, you drive from Whitechapel down to Goodmaze, mm. Ilford, Barking, Bethnal Green. It doesn't represent anything English now. You could be in a completely different continent. Yeah, but I've driven down there quite a lot, Lorraine, because I live in East London as well. And, mm. you know, I think when I drive down past that big mosque, which is on its way when you go down towards um, uh, Bethnal Green and all of mm-hmm. that, you know, it looks it looks fine to me. I mean, it looks different. It looks, you know, exotic in some ways. You see a lot of people mm. wearing Arab-type clothes or you see a lot of people uh, with brown skin, but that doesn't really bother me. I don't really mind that. Do you well, mind what that? what I said to you is I don't mind... The scarf, it's a full burqa that I don't like, the full face cap. Yeah. Do you find it intimidating? Um, sorry? Do you find it intimidating in terms of the, you I, know... I find it intimidating mm. and I find it offensive because what it says to me is that um, I don't want to um, have any interaction with you. Um, I want to hide behind my, my veil um, and live in my own culture. It doesn't matter that my identity and culture has been eroded, which it has. Do you really think that, though? Oh, that's how I feel. I completely feel Why do you feel as if your culture's been eroded, Lorraine? Yes, I do. Uh, Why, though? The identity of of East London certainly has been. But, of course, it's not just East London, is it? There's many cities in this this country now that um, have... But cities change. I mean, I I grew up in North London, right? Kilburn, when I grew up, used to be a very Irish part of the world, Okay. And Kilburn had loads of Irish pubs. Many of them collected money for the IRA. 
Many of them now don't exist anymore because the Irish have kind of moved out of Kilburn and it's not any longer a very Irish place. Now, that doesn't mean that it's... But now it, that's gone all Turkish, hasn't it? I don't know. I wouldn't yes, say Turkish. Has. I mean, I know London quite well. Yeah. Um, I feel... I, I mean, I go to Kilburn a reasonable amount. I wouldn't say it's particularly Turkish. I mean, if you're talking well, about the Edgware Road, there's but, plenty of... Um, I have to say that I feel that now the whole basic... They don't... What's shocking is that a lot of these um, the women and girls in um, full burkas actually have got London accents. That's, you know, so... How do you know that? They, 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 well, because you hear them t- walking along the road on their iPhones swearing. Right. So they're not even that religious because you want to hear the language that comes out of them. Uh-huh. Well, so why does, I don't understand why it bothers you so much, Lorraine. Because I, I actually want to have my children... Live in a, in the in the country where at least the identity, culture, and traditions is up at the foremost, and I can see I can see it sliding away through political correctness and liberalism. It's so, what would you like? What would you like to do to about be. it then? What would you like to do about it? Well, I think what if you I'd were like say you were prime is, minister for a day and you could make some laws that would bring back I what you want. I don't believe that they should. If they wanted to integrate, they wouldn't cover their face. That's for sure. Okay, they don't want to. The whole, the whole. Well, you don't know who they're talking to on the iPhones. Maybe they're talking to some people down the road who are not wearing. No, burkas. they don't. I've seen them all walking to school, taking their children to school in the full burqa on their phones. And what about the school children? Oh, a lot of them have got their little scarves on. Tiny little children with right. scarves on. Well, I, mean, I don't understand you know, why it bothers you so much. It, I've just told you because my identity and culture. Well, how does somebody else wearing something change your identity? Well, the, uh, you could be in another continent now, walking in part in East London, in another continent. Yeah, but what's wrong it's with that? Do you not, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of great uh, Asian uh, restaurants in that part of the world, which I go to from time to time. I mean, if, if people who you say are changing the culture of this country didn't they live are. here, then we wouldn't have any Indian restaurants or Asian restaurants, would we? I think you're going from one extreme to the other now, Mike. Oh, really? Yes, I do. I mean, if you actually want to know, we've seen demonstrations, Nev, of um, is, is, is Muslims there. They want a caliphate. And unfortunately, that's where it's I don't going. really believe that story. I do. No. I do believe that. No, I don't I, believe no, that. No, they do. They do, Mike. What? They do not want to integrate in, this, in, in Europe. The thing is, it's happening throughout the West. Okay. What is clear, though, is that well, there's a failure to integrate in one way or another. And I think that some of the things you've talked about in terms of language and in terms of you know barriers, such as what people wear, but also I think there's a failure from our communities to not want to integrate too. And I've got great examples of some of my friends and family mm. that just suddenly you know don't want, are scared, scared by what the, the change, because change is happening so quick amongst so many, so many of our communities, and it's hard to get get our heads around it. But Katie, some of the things you've said a couple of times. Covers their face. You can, you can talk to them and no, say, you, you know, could, would you take to. it off if you Katie, came to our house? They turn, Katie, they turn their back on you. They, but you can tell the body language even under under their shrouding. They turn their back I on you. I think that's really sad. You but might Lorraine, be right, but it's really sad. But Lorraine, there's, it's a relatively small number of people you're talking about here, isn't it? I mean, because most Muslim women actually do not wear uh, a cover over their head at all. Walk down Barking High Street, Mike. Go to Barking, go to Ilford. 
Raina, I, I went to university in Leicester and I turned out, I went from a very white community uh, in South East London, an area where BNP was a stronghold. And I rocked up to Leicester and I didn't know anyone or anything. And I was just on, clearly in my class, university class, at some times I was the odd one out. And I thought I've got two ways here. I can either try and befriend these people that I don't know and they're completely different from me. Their cultures are totally different from me and I was quite scared. Or, you know, I get stuck in or I just retreat home again. Yeah. And I, I just... Can I just say something to you? Mm-hmm. We do not have a problem with Hindus, Buddhists, Sikhs, what some people do with the Jews on the left, but I certainly don't. I don't I, what I, about turbans? You don't mind people wearing turbans? I just have a problem with people covering their faces. Well, you said you didn't like the scarves either. No, I said I don't mind the she scarves. She said didn't mind the scarves, but also yeah. it's, it's well, got you didn't change. like children wearing the scarves, though. I don't like to see four or five-year-old children with a scarf. So there you go. No. And what about, what's different about turban, then? Nothing. It's because they communicate with me. So they it's not actually, the, it's not the item of clothing, then? It's the fact that they do not, no, it's not. And it's not anything to do with where they come from. It's the fact that they cover their face. Maybe they think you're a bit hostile, Lorraine. No, it's not me being hostile. It's the body language that I get from them. I'm just sad because I think that what you, you are showing is, 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 is upset and anger over this. I, you know, I can tell I that you're upset by it. I see, my, I see where I come from as completely destroyed. The culture, the identity and the tradition of where I come from in East London. How can we repair that? East Ham has been completely destroyed. There you go. That's how I How can feel. we repair that, though? How well, where we... have all the people that you regard as the holders of, of British heritage, where have they all gone? Well, hey? well, well I mean, if they lived to... there still, they must have all moved away, right? Yeah, I wonder why. Well, why did they move away? Because the culture's changed. No, well, it wouldn't have changed if they hadn't moved. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, do you know what? My auntie said to me, you won't like this. My old auntie said to me, you know, the Germans couldn't bomb us out. And what did she say after that? Well, what would you think? Well, I don't know. You tell well, me. Because the neighbour, the neighbours that, that have come there, do not want to integrate. If they've got, a, if well, they've hang got on. A you're telling me that the, the, you're telling me effectively that some people moved into an area, and the people who were already living there moved away, and it's the people who moved in that didn't want to integrate. Surely, the people that didn't want to integrate were the ones that moved away. Well, what happened then in, in um, up north? Up what north. What happened in Luton? Well, How was that? Well, I can't imagine why anyone would want to live in Luton. Well, there you go. Why wouldn't anyone want to live in Luton? Well, it's a pretty horrible place, Luton. It's always been horrible. Why is that? Luton. Why is it a horrible place? It's just a horrible place. I've never liked it. Yeah, why? Why is that? Well, because it's in the middle of Hertfordshire, but it's a very, very unfortunate... Bit like it's just a horrible... It's got the town centre looks awful. It's got right near an airport, which is really bad. It's just mm. not a very nice place. I have to say, Mike, the fact is if they want to... If they, the, the trouble with the full face veil, it says, I do not want to integrate with you... And that's it. So and do got... you want to integrate with them, as you call them? Oh, I, I integrate with... I've, I've got neighbours from all all places. I've really? got Muslim neighbours that right. I get on very well with, thank you very much. But they don't cover their face. OK. Well, what do, you, what do they say when you tell them about the, the face covering that, that you don't like? A lot of them agree with me. OK. So it's not all Muslims, then, as I've told no. you. who said it was? Well, I said it's a small number of people that you seem to object to. I said I don't like... The, um, full ma- the full No, face I understand mask. that, but there's not every Muslim that wears it. I haven't said they are. I said I don't mind the, the scarf when you can see their face and okay. they can talk to you. All right. Don't try and um, change my words. I'm not, I'm not doing yes, that, Lorraine. No, no, not at all. That's yes, not my game. Are. 
No, but it's very good that you rang up and told us what you think, and thank you very much indeed. Lorraine from Chelmsford there uh, doesn't think that uh, Muslims want to integrate, apart from some Muslims who do want to integrate. It seems a bit confused. Uh, 0344 is the number. Uh, let's talk uh, to, uh, to Sir Bill Cash coming up next about uh, what is going on with HS2. Uh, you might think that uh, there's a lot of snakes in the House of Commons, but there's an awful <laughs> lot more snakes out there uh, on the streets. We're going to talk now to Dave Arnold, chairman of the International Herpetological Society, uh, which I can only assume means the snake-loving society. Uh, Dave, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Hi, good Dave. Morning. I'm, I'm, I'm always keen to learn new words. Herpetological is a new word that I didn't know that's about. That's right. I don't want to catch. Is that the study of snakes? Um, herpetology is the study of reptiles and amphibians. Oh, is it? Right, OK. Well, well, well. thank you. I'm very very pleased to hear it. Now, uh, a lot of stories are being written, lots of, uh, of sort of videos are being posted. Everyone saw the boa constrictor killing a pigeon in Leytonstone High Road. Great feeling. You know, um, it's not the kind of thing we're expecting to see here in uh, Britain, is it? Um, not really, no. Um, but uh, with the warm weather as it is at the minute oh. and the fact that there are lots of people who uh, keep snakes there's as many snakes kept as pets as there are dogs in really yeah really so how many yeah. is that that's that's like a couple of million isn't it it's well into that sort of number yeah wow i never knew that who knew? so there, i mean people used to say that you never seven more than seven feet from a rat you may never be more than about 10 feet from a snake yeah it might be a little bit further than that but, really uh, yeah, i know what you're saying yeah so are these snakes that ones that are kind of in the wild but are coming out because of the heat and we see more of them or are they kind of pets that have kind of escaped or is it mixed you know how on earth have all these snakes ended up in places we wouldn't normally see them um it's as i say it's a combination of the two things it's the the heat the fact it's been very warm at the minute and of course most snakes um, being cobbler animals are from warmer climes than here. Um, the only snakes we have in this country tend to be well away in the countryside, the grass snakes, the adders, the smooth snakes. Um, so you wouldn't see them um, out in a, a park or a street or something like that. Um, so what we are seeing um, is probably um, some animals that have um, escaped from their owners. Um, snakes, of course, by design, are designed to go down holes. Um, and unfortunately, if one does get out, it can disappear very, very easily. No, indeed. Well, I mean, um, I'm seeing a, a figure which comes from the Federation of British Herpetologists, which yeah. uh, uh, I don't know if it's a slightly different organisation from yours, where they've said that they reckon about 60 people in England have licences who keep about something like 300 venomous snakes. That's a very small number of licences compared to the number of snakes you said are prob probably around. Uh well, you talked about venomous snakes. Yes. That's keeping rattlesnakes, black mambas, cobras, etc. Oh, I see. The vast, vast, vast majority of snakes that are, are, are not venomous are, are totally harmless. OK. So but what do you do if you kind of just, you know, get out of bed one morning and there's a snake on the floor looking at you? Go home. <laughs> You're, you are in home. Get back in bed and just pull a duvet over your head. I don't think that would work. What do you do? Uh, well, the, you know, if you come across a snake um, in your house or in your garden or something like that, um, that you don't know what it is and you don't know any of your neighbours who have snakes because, you know, that would be the next port of call, um, is to keep an eye on it. Don't go up it. Don't try and catch it or anything like that. Um, but Keep an eye on it? Keep an eye on it, yeah. You know, observe it. See where it goes. Well, what if it okay. starts coming towards you? It won't. You can keep more hey? of an eye on it then. <laughs> yeah. Snakes Run. don't attack people. Yeah, um, it, it won't come you towards sure? you deliberately. It won't try and attack you or bite you or anything like that. Its number one response will be to try and get away, oh. try and hide, something like that. So okay. you need to have a, a bit of an idea of where it goes. Um, and then contact 
um, somebody, a local pet shop or the RSPCA or something like that, who will be able to um, get in touch with somebody who would uh, come and collect it. Come and sort of wrangle it. Because, I mean, there are stories, and I appreciate that you will say probably to me these are very rare situations, but uh, there was a bloke in Hampshire killed by a seven-foot African rock python, which he kept as a pet since he was young, uh, because it wrapped itself around his body and asphyxiated him. Yeah, again, as, as you say, you said it yourself, it's very, very rare. Mm. Um, and I mean, would my... you call that, are, are the kind of the, the uh, constricting snakes, are they called venomous or not? No, they're not venomous, no. So no. they're still deadly. Ven- venomous is one that would bite and in- yes. inject venom into you. Yeah. Like a cobra. Like a cobra. They're very great, aren't they? The one that killed its breeder in 2011 in Nottingham. Um, yeah, that was um, yes. He he was a, a very experienced keeper, and he was being when he was cleaning it out. Yeah, um, but that's two deaths, I think, in seven years, or in, in mm. fact, before that, it was many, many years. Um, and as I say, if you look at the number of people that die from dogs, horses, it's way, horses. way, way more than that. Yeah, they're stamped on a horse, things like that, I should imagine. Oh, I suppose, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. not bitten by a horse, though. But I don't, I've never really got the fascination with snakes, though. They kind of look quite scary, and uh, you wouldn't get me having isn't one as a pet. it's sort of a goth thing what, to have what is it, pet, you know, what it? Is it? Why do people love having snakes as pets? What do they get from having snakes? You know, why, um, why, why are they so popular? They are interesting. They're unusual. There are many different sorts, of course, that come in many, many different shapes and sizes and so on. Um, my personal interest... Um, as with a lot of young boys, stems back to liking dinosaurs when I was little, um, and therefore liking lizards, reptiles, and it's. Uh, well, you could keep a, you could keep like a gecko, couldn't you, or or even a, an, an iguana? Would be be lot as dangerous as having a snake. Uh, no, I would say an iguana is a lot more dangerous than quite a few of the snakes. Really, the, the snakes that are kept as pets are not dangerous. I've kept many many animals over the years. The most painful bite I've ever had was from a gerbil. Yeah, gerbils really can hurt. <laughs> My sister was bitten by a gerbil once. She couldn't get it off her finger. She was oh, literally like going yeah, like this. Thanks. And I know you can't see this on the radio, but we'll maybe put it out. And the thing was hanging on with its teeth onto her finger. And she was going oh. round and round and round. And it was literally <laughs> like flying around, <laughs> flying around the room. But it wouldn't let go. It was incredible. But, I mean, um, are we likely to... Should we not be telling people to be more careful with their snakes, though, if, if they're, um, let, yeah, if they're I mean, getting the, out? The... Um, as I've said, snakes are very, very good escape artists um, yeah. because of their design, um, and therefore people that do keep them should be, you know, aware of that and, and make sure you know cages are closed properly, and re- don't have the temptation, um, as I know some people have with weather like this, to take them out because it's warm and let them wander around the house or wander around the garden or things like that because. As I say, you only have to take your eye off them for a minute and no, they've indeed. disappeared down the back of the settee. Uh, have yeah. you ever eaten one? I've eaten... I had rattlesnake once when I lived <laughs> in America. Um, I haven't, no. Um, tasted, as, as you would expect, it tasted, tasted a bit like, like chicken. chicken. But yeah. it's got... Except it had the cartilage, which made it slightly difficult to get the, um, you know, some of the meat out. But oh. what's, what? 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 Oh, sound very nice. It's fine. Why wouldn't you eat rattlesnake? No. Why not? No, thanks. You go to Texas, you go to Texas yeah, quite a lot, don't I like you? Next time Texas. you go to Texas, tell them to, to cook you up some rattlesnake. No, thanks. All right. And how much well, does one of these snakes cost, Dave? I mean, if I was to go into, say, a snake shop and want to buy a python. Um, well, if you wanted to buy, I mean, it's... A bloke, Stuart, um, found, I mean, a bloke called many, Stuart many Saunders. But... I would say, um, if you wanted to buy one of the, the smaller pythons, royal pythons are one of the, the most commonly uh, bred mm. and, and kept species... Um, and you're probably looking um, 
around about the sort of £50 mark, something like oh, that. That's quite cheap, isn't it? And what if, I mean, another question for a lot of people might be concerned about. Stuart Sanders found an eight-foot python in his bathroom in the shower, which is a bit worrying. Um, what, what about, say, dog? If you've got a dog and you're out walking a dog, and yeah. you see, I know there's a part of Sussex where I sometimes take my dog where they've got adders. Yeah. And adders, I believe, are the only poisonous British sort of home-grown snakes. What yeah. should, uh, what should the, I mean, should you keep dogs away from them? Um, if you know there are adders in an area, then yes. I mean, just keep your dog on a lead, basically. Right. Cause it's only when they, they go sort of running off into the undergrowth and stick their nose somewhere and mm. the adder's sitting in there and it bites the dog on the end of the nose. Sort of yeah, thing. right. Which, again, it's, it's just defending itself. Yeah. And are most uh, of these snakes home sort of bred, as it were, bred in this country, or are they imported by people? The vast majority are bred in this country now, yeah. I okay. mean, our um, society, the International Herpetological Society, we hold uh, breeders' meetings several times a year All right. um, for people who've um, you know, bred their animals and for them to come and swap and sell and meet people and so on. And we'll right. have several thousand people attend those meetings every time. Okay. Well, it's a fascinating uh, area, right? and thank you very much indeed for illuminating us. Dave Arnold, Chairman of the International Herpetological Society. So there's a new word for both of us to use. Maybe we should tell James Dellingpole about herpetological. He might say that's not a word either. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.